Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Stories Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we're talking about Faith, Hope, and Trick. Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 3, Episode 3. In particular, I'll talk about how exposition and necessary plot developments are covered in an engaging and fun way. The subtle seeds of conflict that are sown in the story even before Buffy and Faith interact the effect that late or missing major plot turns in the Faith and Kakistos story have on the episode as a whole, and why this is one of the best emotional arcs in any Buffy episode, and how it foreshadows things to come. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Faith, Hope, and Trick was directed by James A. Contner and written by David Greenwald. The opening shot shows Sunnydale high, but we see only feet on concrete steps at the edge of the school. We hear Willow's voice. She is giddy at the freedom. Now that they are seniors, they're allowed to go off campus for lunch. She waxes eloquent about savoring the moment and not just rushing in. Oz and Xander on either side of her grab her arms and carry her over the boundary between school property and the rest of Sunnydale. Willow is panicked. What if they changed the rules? And they reassure her. So this is a nice small conflict to open our episode and give us some context for what will happen next, where we get a bigger hint of the real conflict of the episode or one of them. Cordelia is also with our friends. She and Xander are arm in arm as are Willow and Oz as they walk into the park across the street. Willow says maybe they shouldn't be so couple since they are meeting Buffy. And Cordelia uh, gives us some exposition in a really fun way. And she says, oh, you mean because the only guy who ever liked her turned out to be a vicious killer and had to be put down like a dog? They all agree they should uncouple. Oz says something like prepare for uncoupling and they let go of each other. This is our first example of a lot of information given to us in a very quick, very fun way. And Xander adds a little more because as they approach Buffy, she's on a blanket, dressed very nice, surrounded by Tupperware containers of food. She has prepared a lovely lunch for them. And Xander says, Buffy, banned from campus, but not from our hearts. What's for lunch? Willow, after they have talked a bit, comments that Scott Hope is at 11 o'clock and tells us that he wanted to ask Buffy out last year, but she wasn't ready, and maybe now she is. Buffy is not sure 
But when Scott walks by and says, hi, Buffy, she half smiles at him. Willow thinks that that went well. And we get a little more background from Cordelia because she says, he didn't try to slit our throats or anything. It's progress. But Buffy says she's not trying to snare Scott Hope. She just wants her life back. She wants to date shop, go to school, and save the world from unspeakable demons. You know, I want to do girly stuff. It's a little more exposition about what Buffy does if we didn't already know. And it is that first seed of what will be a major conflict for Buffy when Faith, the new slayer, arrives because Buffy wants her life back. And she feels that Faith is taking her life over or taking it away. At 2 minutes 56 seconds in, a limousine pulls up to Burger Man, a fast food place. And this is a bit of a hint of the vampire monster plot to come. Someone from the back of the limo orders a diet soda. We find out he's a vampire, but at first he is not in vamp face. And we'll learn he is Mr. Trick, so I will call him that. And he comments on how Sunnydale is quaint and people call him Sir. And admittedly, it's not a haven for the brothers. He says, strictly Caucasian persuasion here in the Dale. But you got to salute that death rate. They could fit right in here, as no one is saying boo about it. I can't recall. He may be our first black villain, at least the first major one. And I like that he calls out the whiteness of Sunnydale. I feel like this is the writers in the show acknowledging that aspect. Now looking back at the show, that stands out so much. There is almost no diversity. It was very, sadly, very typical of a network show at the time. So I like that Trick specifically makes these comments. And we don't just bring in a black character and ignore that everyone else is white. To some extent, we did that with Kendra, but her character was so much about the Slayer handbook and following the Slayer rules. So it wouldn't have made as much sense for her to comment, but it definitely fits to have Trick do it. There is another large vampire who's very old in the car. For now, he stays pretty much in shadows and he growls and he says, they are here for one thing, to kill the Slayer. So this is about four minutes, 32 seconds in, where we would normally see our story spark or inciting incident that sets our main plot rolling because it typically comes about 10% through the episode and these episodes are generally about 44 minutes. Trick pays for the soda and the other one says he'll rip the spine from the Slayer's body and suck the marrow from her bones. And Mr. Trick says, oh, now you made me hungry. And he reach out, reaches out, turns into his vamp face and grabs the guy through the takeout window, grabs the burger barn employee and hauls him into the limo, which then squeals away. The next scene is at the bronze. We quickly realize it is a dream because Buffy is dancing with Angel and she says she missed him. Buffy is wearing the cloud ring that Angel gave 
leave her, it falls off her finger onto the floor and she has this quick flash of killing him as the vortex is swirling behind him. And she says to Angel, I had to. Angel grips his own ring. He closes his fist over it and blood oozes through his fingers. He glares at Buffy and says, I loved you. Now blood is coming through his shirt at his chest and he says, go to hell. Angel's face decays and he laughs and he says, I did. This I see as our emotional story spark because yes, it is giving us backstory and exposition and it could be a dream just there to do that or to give us that glimpse of Angel like we had last week in Dead Man's Party. But I feel like this dream, like many in Buffy, does move the story because it drives Buffy's actions in this episode. It drives some of her interactions with Scott Hope. It drives how she reacts to what he does later. And that's why I think that this this dream really works because it doesn't just give us some backstory and exposition. It informs Buffy's fears and guilt and sadness and her choices in the episode. There is a ringing bell. It sounds like the school bell, but it is Buffy's alarm. So we are about seven minutes, 12 seconds in, and she wakes up. She opens the drawer by her bedside, and the cloud ring Angel gave her is on a chain, and she looks at it. Joyce opens the door. Um, after knocking and says morning sunshine ready to face the beast and we switch to a meeting at principal Snyder's office Buffy and Joyce are there Snyder tells her the terms of her re-entry to school take them or leave them so this is another scene it isn't well it is exposition but it's not backstory it is telling us something that we need we need to know how does Buffy get admitted back to school and it does it in a quick way and with conflict so it keeps it interesting. He tells her she needs to pass a makeup test in each of the classes where she had an incomplete. She needs a recommendation, a glowing recommendation from a faculty member who is not an English librarian. An interview with the school psychiatrist where the psychiatrist concludes her violent tendencies are gone. And while he's saying this, Buffy is tapping a nail file against her fingers. I love this because I recently was talking with someone about how I find Zoom calls kind of tiring, especially with a group of people. As I'm recording, we are still in the time of great concern about transmission of COVID-19. So most things are taking place via Zoom, not in person. And my friend said she had read these articles about body language and much of the cues we get on how people feel are less people's faces and more what they do with their hands. And a friend who's a trial attorney, I mentioned this and he said yes right away. It's why part of why he doesn't want to do trials on Zoom because in cross-examination, he looks carefully less at people's faces and more at their entire body, their hands, but their entire body language, how they move. And he can't do that on Zoom. And he thinks juries also look at that. And it's part of when he argues, you know, this person was incredible or you saw how they were on the stand that you can't get that. So anyway, I love that Buffy is tapping this nail file because it is a cue that tells us how 
how she's feeling. It adds tension and Snyder picks up on it because as he's finishing, he walks around and takes that nail file away from her. I also love, I'll talk about in spoilers, how a lot of what Snyder says here foreshadows some things that set off key plot issues in in future episodes. So that's really nice too because we're not aware that we are getting that here. And yet it does. Joyce says she doesn't like Snyder's attitude. The school board says he has to educate. um, And he says something like every juvenile delinquent. So this goes to, I mentioned in last week's spoiler session, did Giles threatening Snyder have any effect? We don't really know because there's a reference to the school board. We don't know if Giles had any influence there. But I like that Joyce pushes back and makes clear she doesn't like the way Snyder is trying to put these conditions on and push Buffy around. Buffy follows up and says that really the school board overruled him and adds that's like having your whole ability to do this job called into question when you think about it. And Joyce says I think what my daughter is trying to say is na 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 and they both smile and leave. I love that we have Joyce and Buffy on the same page again. Joyce backing Buffy up. And also love that we get this thing that needs to happen that wouldn't really be that interesting. Okay, the school board said Buffy could come back in, but we need to know it as the audience. And it is done in this wonderful, fun way that's full of conflict and seeds things for future episodes. After they leave, Snyder's phone buzzes and an assistant says it's the mayor on line one. So we get another uh, little bit of a story question. Is that related to the meeting about Buffy? Buffy and Willow are in the library. They're walking in and Buffy is saying, you know, does Willow think that Giles is mad at her? And Willow doesn't think so. And she comments, has Buffy ever noticed how he makes that funny cluck cluck sound when he's mad and he's too English to say it? And Giles, at that moment, he has been behind the counter and he pops up. He pretends or acts like he didn't really hear them or notice what they were saying and starts talking about needing to do a binding spell for a kafala to make sure the demon doesn't uh, reopen or emerge again. And Buffy says, Giles, contain yourself. Yes, I'm back at school, but you know how it embarrasses me when you gush. So let's just skip all that and get straight to work. Giles says, of course, it's wonderful to have her back. And we can see that in his face. But she wants him to say it, which he says, and you want me, you want me to say it. He does kind of quickly go back to the importance of seeing that Akafala stays dormant and the dimensional portal stays closed, asks her about what happened when she killed Angel. Willow really wants to help with the spell, but he tells her it's very difficult and sensitive. So what we're getting up to here, we're just about 10 minutes in, so we're nearing the one quarter mark of the episode, and I think we have a sort of one quarter major plot turn for the emotional arc here. And the one quarter turn usually happens a quarter way through or so of an episode or a book. And it spins the story in a new direction, but it comes from outside the protagonist. So here it is Giles from outside Buffy pushing her to talk about what happened with Angel and Akathala for this spell. 
But Buffy doesn't give a lot of detail. Giles asks about the timing. How long was it after Xander rescued him? Um, half an hour, and she says less. And he wants to know if the vortex was open. She tells him yes. And he asks about Angel. And Buffy just says, a big fight. Angel got the pointy end of the stick, and that's it. And then she rushes off for her first makeup exam. Willow is not too subtle about wanting to help. She starts picking up ingredients and commenting on them. She says, a smidge of this mixed with a virgin saliva. And Giles gives her this look and she says, does something I know nothing about. He tells her these are not forces to play around with. And what has she been conjuring? She says, well, she tried the spell to cure Angel and it didn't work. And she says, I guess that was a bust. And then talks about a few other things she has tried. So again, we have some really nice backstory and exposition for audience members who didn't see last season or just to remind us, but it comes in through this conflict, both with Buffy being reluctant to say what happened when Giles needs this information and with Willow pushing to help with this spell and Giles having a real concern about her doing things that could be dangerous. And Willow and up by saying otherwise it's just small stuff and is he mad and Giles says of course not if I were I would be making a strange clucking sound with my tongue at 12 minutes in we are at the bronze a dark-haired girl a young woman is dancing close with this guy on the dance floor among a bunch of other dancers Willow and Oz are kissing Buffy sits down with some drinks and she is very happy she passed her English exam She's out with her friends and she says how much she missed her life. I think she says, hello, my life, how I've missed you. And this is another little seed for the conflict when she feels that faith is interfering with her getting her life back. And I did not notice how many of these little comments were in there until I watched specifically to prepare for the podcast. So we're nearing 12 minutes, 45 seconds in, and Willow says, hi, Scott. Uh, what are you doing here? And Scott Hope has walked up and he says, well, you told me if I came after eight, Buffy would be here. And Willow looks really guilty. Scott says, sorry, he's a bad liar. And Buffy smiles and says, hi. He asks her to dance. We can tell Buffy is both, she's not sure she's ready, but she is also thinking about that dream. And she kind of stutters and she doesn't know. And she awkwardly says, I think she's about to say bad with dancing, but thank you for asking and we can see she's she's flattered she doesn't really want to totally put Scott off but she is not ready to dance with him and of course he doesn't know about the um the dream or her history and he's very nice about it I think he says kind of no pressure I'll just be standing over there and if you change your mind you know mosey on over and if not no big deal after he's gone Willow says he's normal he's charming doesn't she want to get back to normal and Oz gives Scott points for use of the word mosey, but Buffy is just not ready. We're over 14 minutes in and we haven't really gotten 
any sort of major plot turn in our vampire monster faith story. We are about to get a pretty big turn when Buffy meets Faith, but that that still even comes just a little bit later. For now, Cordelia and Xander join Buffy and Willow and Oz, and Cordelia says, check out Sledorama, commenting on uh, this dark-haired young woman dancing. Not the greatest comment. I I hope girls are not still saying this about other girls now. And she comments on the guy's dated outfit. And Buffy realizes that the guy is a vampire as the couple goes dancing off the floor and heading for an exit. Buffy follows at a determined pace and Scott, it it happens to be the direction Scott is, so he thinks she is coming to talk to him and he kind of steps into her path and she tries to explain, oh no, you know, I, I, I wasn't heading here for that. I have to go do something and it's not about him. Outside the bronze, our friends have gone out with Buffy They hear noises in an alley. Buffy goes over to try to help, but this young woman turns and says, oh, it's okay, she's got it. And she says, you're Buffy, right? I'm Faith. And she's fighting the vampire and Oz says, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say there's a new slayer in town. Faith borrows Buffy's stake, kills the vampire and says, thanks B, couldn't have done it without you. And we cut to a commercial. So we are 15 minutes, 48 seconds in. So this is quite a bit past that one quarter point in the episode. And while sometimes with TV, the turn does come a bit late, it usually isn't this late in Buffy. I feel like this contributes a bit to not so much a lack of momentum, I don't feel that this is like Dead Man's Party where that zombie story just there wasn't much to it and it didn't really I didn't think it had any momentum but it does make this feel a little uneven or it makes me as a viewer feel a little unsure what the story is here because at this point it all feels a little disconnected we have that big vampire talking about killing the slayer we have uh, now much much later faith showing up and we have scott hope and we have giles asking about this spell what is really great is that all of that will come together but this will continue with the the major plot turns for our vampire and faith story it will feel a bit off to me in the bronze faith is telling stories about her slaying we come in on one where there was a heat wave and she was sleeping in the nude Uh, vampires attacked this church bus and it ends with the preacher hugging her while she's nude and police coming up and arresting them cordelia is sitting with her arms crossed clearly not thrilled so another example of or at least arms as body language. Xander, though, loves this story. Faith says, isn't it crazy how slang just always makes you hungry and horny? And they all look at Buffy and Buffy kind of awkwardly says, well, sometimes I I crave a nonfat yogurt afterwards. And Cordelia says she gets it and then says, not the horny part, the two slayers. 
So again, we're going to get a little exposition. This time, it is eased in with a bit of a joke, and Cordelia quickly says, oh, Buffy died, and we got Kendra, and then Kendra died, and we got Faith. And then Faith quickly explains why she showed up now. She says her watcher is on a retreat in the Cotswolds, so she came to meet the infamous Buff. She asks if Buffy really used a rocket launcher once. Buffy starts to tell the story, But Xander interrupts. He wants more Faith stories, especially if they involve being nude, to which Cordelia says, Xander, find a new theme. So here, Faith is not trying to interfere with Buffy's life so much. In fact, she's turning to Buffy and saying, hey, you know, what what about this rocket launcher? It's actually Buffy's friends, specifically Xander. And I sort of get it because Faith is new. Like, they, they know Buffy's stories. After Faith tells another story, she asks Buffy what was her toughest kill. But before we get to that, let's take a quick break. As I'm recording this, I just sent the one-year novelist a week-by-week guide to writing your novel in one year to an audiobook editor. By the time you hear this, it probably will have been edited and I hope will be available soon. I decided to try narrating it myself because I have so enjoyed doing this podcast. If you get Super Simple Story Structure, that is by a different narrator who I love. She is really enthusiastic about the material, but I did want to give a try at doing my own narration. So when that is out, I will let you know. And you can always find articles about writing, book marketing, and publishing at writingasasecondcareer.com. Buffy flashes to killing Angel, and she definitely doesn't want to talk about that, so she's kind of saying, well, you know, they're all difficult, and Oz cuts in and asks Faith's position on werewolves. Faith says uh, she's okay when she finds out he's a werewolf. She's okay as long as he doesn't hump her leg. Then she says how she and Buffy are going to have fun being watcherless and free. And Buffy is surprised and Faith says, well, didn't your watcher go to the retreat too? We cut to Giles and he is going on about how lovely the retreat is and it's a great honor to be asked. Clearly a little uh, put out by not being asked. And Faith says, oh, it's boring. It's too stuffy for someone like you, which shocks Buffy. She says something like, have you met Giles? Faith said, yeah, I see him. If I'd known they came that young and cute, I'd have requested a transfer. Giles is flattered. Buffy is grossed out. And Giles says it's fortuitous Faith is here. Two people have disappeared from the Sunset Ridge area. As they're talking, Willow and Xander prompt Buffy to invite Faith to dinner. Faith says she can't wait to meet the fam. Buffy says, great, then they can patrol also together. So we are already seeing Buffy not too thrilled on all this togetherness. Willow reminds Buffy she has another makeup exam and Buffy is saying, oh yeah, I could use some coaching. But that's not why Willow reminded her. She and Xander are excited to keep Faith company in Buffy's absence. 
They leave with Faith. Uh, Giles says Faith has a lot of zest, but he then asks Buffy about a cathola again, asking about the physical locations of a cathola, Buffy and Angel. She gives him a really cursory explanation and then says, next time I kill Angel, I'll video it. She has to go for her makeup exam. Willow and Xander show Faith around, narrating in a joking way all the horrific things that happened, including Willow being pulled into a vortex. And Faith thinks they're a hoot and says if she'd had friends like them in high school, and she says, well, probably she would have still dropped out, but she would have been sad about it. And she asks about Buffy, who seems wound really tight, and says Buffy needs to find the fun a little like them. Faith runs into Scott Hope at the drinking fountain, and as they are chatting away, Buffy happily bounces down the stairs and says she is two for two on tests. Then she sees Faith talking to Scott, and Willow says, hey, maybe Faith and Scott could hit it off if Buffy is done with him. This is around the midpoint of the episode, 22 minutes, 30 seconds in. Usually at our midpoint, we will see a major reversal for the protagonist, or a major commitment, or both. This is something of a reversal for Buffy uh, in an emotional sense. She says she hadn't said no for all time to Scott, but you can't enter into these things lightly. And here's what I see as a reversal because Willow says to her, you really do need to find the fun, B, Buffy. So I feel for Buffy, you know, finally after last week's difficulties with her friends, they seem to be on the same page. They seem excited to have her back. And now there is this new slayer in town. We then shift to our vampires. Um, Mr. Trick is telling this big old vampire with a scar, the one who was in the limo with him, uh, who also has hooves for feet, that they can wire everything. Trick is very excited about the technology, everything they could do with it. But the older vamp interrupts him and says all he cares about is the Slayer. And Trick says, well, there's kind of some mixed news on this. It turns out there are two Slayers in this town because the town already had one. So now we, we know that it is Faith that this old vampire is after. And he says he doesn't care how many there are. He'll kill a hundred of them. She's going to pay for what she did. And he motions to a scar across his face. This is about 22 minutes, 48 seconds in. Is this a reversal in the sort of monster plot? I I don't think so because this is nothing new. Yeah, we as the audience are just finding out specifically that this old vampire is after Faith, that now we know that she gave him this scar, that he's determined to kill her, but we knew he was here to kill a slayer. So I, I don't see that as a reversal. He also, right in the beginning, said he was going to pull the spine from the slayer and suck the marrow from her bones. That seems pretty bad, and I don't, I don't feel like I have a greater sense of menace from this vampire. Someone knocks on the door. They're in this big sort of warehouse. Trick says the food's here, opens the door. It's a pizza delivery guy, but Trick, of course, grabs the delivery guy, doesn't care about the pizza. 
At about a little over 24 minutes in, Joyce is dishing out food at dinner. She kind of ignores Buffy when she asks for some and focuses on Faith because Faith has said she loves slang. Joyce finds that really interesting. Buffy never talks that way and asks why. And Faith says because the whole world goes away when she's fighting and she knows she'll win and they'll lose and it is the best feeling. And Buffy says, well, sure, it beats that dead feeling when they win and you lose. Faith says, I don't let that kind of negative thinking in. Joyce thinks that's great. You know, she says Buffy can be awfully negative and honey, you got to fight that. And Buffy says, working on it. Buffy follows Joyce into the kitchen. Buffy is not quite complaining, but commenting on Faith. And Joyce tells Buffy it's probably a good thing that she's an only child. But Buffy says, I'm just getting my life back. I'm not looking to go halfsies on it. Joyce makes the point that isn't it safer with two of you? She's happy. Faith is there. And then she goes on to say maybe Faith could take over. Buffy is going to go to college next year. This could be great. Buffy explains that no one can really take over. You only get a new slayer if the current one dies. And Joyce is really upset and saying, you never told me you died. I hate your life and then she follows up and says I know you didn't choose this I know it chose you I've tried to march in the Slayer Pride parade but I don't want you to die so here even more than last week we have that explicit metaphor I don't love the I hate your life so I'm glad she immediately makes clear it's it's because she is afraid for Buffy so Buffy hugs her and reassures her she's not going to die she knows how to do her job and now she has help Later that night, Buffy and Faith are patrolling. Faith questions why they are going back to an area they have been to before. Buffy, a little sarcastically, says something like, funny thing about vamps, they'll just come back even though you've already been there. Faith says, well, Buffy has all the experience. They get into this argument where Faith is saying Buffy needs to loosen up. Maybe she's been doing this too long. And is it the angel thing? Buffy is not happy that Faith has brought up angel. She hasn't even talked about it much with her friends and says, what do you know about it? And Faith tells her just what her friends say, big love, big loss. She needs to deal with it and move on, but she's not. Buffy gets really angry. She says something about just wanting her life back and and tells Faith to just shut up about Angel. Vampires attack Buffy and Faith fight. Buffy kills a few of them. Faith is wailing on one vampire. She clearly could be staking him, but she is so angry and riled up and um, later we'll find out afraid that she is punching it and punching it. It reminds me a little of in Ted when Buffy was beating up that vampire and Giles was like, uh, Buffy, I think I think you can stake him now. But it is more problematic here because Buffy is having a pretty serious fight with a couple of vampires vampires and Faith rather than staking hers and coming to help is is just oblivious. One of the vampires tells Buffy he lives for Kakistos. Buffy kills him and the other vampire and then she pulls Faith off the last one and stakes it and asks what is wrong with Faith. 
Faith is saying, well, you know, if you have a trouble trouble with violence against vampires, you're in the wrong profession. And Buffy points out that Faith should have staked the vamp and come to help Buffy. And Faith says, I thought you could handle yourself. At 28 minutes, 47 seconds in, Giles is saying to Buffy, well, she and Faith have very different temperaments. And Buffy says, that's not all it is that Faith is not playing with the full deck. She has no deck. She has a three. Buffy does acknowledge that she is overreacting a little, but she maintains that Faith needs help. And Giles says he'll try to reach her watcher on the retreat, and then he starts going on about how lovely that retreat is. Buffy draws him back to the problems at hand. He asks her more about the vampire, and she mentions that one of them talked about kissing toast, or was it taquitos? And Giles says, kakistos and races into the library. After some quick research, he tells her the vampire is very old, so old that its hands and feet are cloven. Buffy right away thinks this must be connected to Faith, and she's going to go talk to Faith. She heads off down the hall, and Scott Hope steps in her way. Buffy says she has to be somewhere. Scott is used to this by now, and he says he knows, he understands, and he just wants to give it one last try. He realizes anything beyond that will qualify as stalking. So Buffy does stop, and he tells her he's thought a lot about how to get to know her. And ultimately, he invites her to a Buster Keaton film festival that weekend. And finally, Buffy says yes and seems happy about it. So now we get, we're about 33 minutes in, so a little more than, or actually almost exactly three quarters through the episode. This is usually where we see another major plot turn It should grow out of the midpoint in a well-structured story and spin the story in yet another new direction. So usually if our protagonist made a commitment at the midpoint, this somehow comes out of that but turns the story. Here, we didn't have a commitment at the midpoint. We did have something of a reversal emotionally, but it, it doesn't seem to connect directly to Scott. It does, though, spin the story in a new direction because he then says he has a gift for Buffy and the guy in the retro shop said it represents friendship, which he'd like to have with her. But it is a ring, a cloud ring, just like the one with Angel. And Buffy stammers and she can't do this. She drops the ring and he says okay and backs off. And Giles is watching. He has come, followed her to tell her something, and he sees this happen. So I guess it it definitely grows from Buffy's emotional issues in the episode. Giles asks if she's okay. She's wiping away tears. She says she is and asks about Faith's watcher. So now we get a strong three-quarter turn in the vampire slash faith plot. We didn't really have a midpoint commitment or reversal there. But as with the emotional plot, we do have a strong turn here because Giles says that Faith's Watcher is dead. So this really changes things. We cut to the motel where Faith is staying. She's saying she'll have the money tomorrow for the room. 
The owner's son is not persuaded. She kind of flirts with him. He knows what she's doing. He comments on it, but he does let it go for the night. Buffy appears and tells her Coquistos is in town and Faith looks petrified. And she starts packing and Buffy says she can help. Faith says she can handle it. And Buffy says something like, yeah, you know, you're, you're great on running away. So we have a definite parallel here to Buffy last week. At the three-quarter turn, right around there, she started packing her bags to leave, to run away from her problems, which Faith is now trying to do. And Buffy is angry at her because she's like, oh, you're just going to leave this for me to deal with. But she also wants to help Faith. And Faith says, and it could be an echo of Buffy, she says, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. I'll take care of this. And Buffy says, like you took care of your watcher. Now Faith stops to look at Buffy and we see no more bravado, no more claiming she can deal with it. And she's saying there's no word for what Kakistos did to her watcher. There is a knock on the door. Faith looks in the keyhole and thinks that it's the owner's son. She sees him. But when she opens the door, it is the owner's son is dead. Kakistos has held his face up to the door so Faith would think it was him. So I'm, I'm not sure how this fits with our rules on vampires not being able to enter because Kakistos does come into the room. And is it because Faith opened the door and she said something like, what do you want now? Like, was that enough of an invitation even though she thought it was going to the owner's son? Or is there something different about hotel rooms? When Faith sees Kakistos with the other vampires, Buffy slams the door and Faith is backing away saying, no, no, no. Kakistos breaks through the door and Buffy and Faith run. Buffy is urging Faith on. They get into an alley. There's a number of vampires chasing them and they're directed by Mr. Trick. Buffy and Faith get into a warehouse where they think they are safe, at least temporarily, and Faith tells Buffy that she couldn't stop Kakistos from killing her watcher. And then she ran. And, and she's clearly having trouble dealing with that she ran. And Buffy tells her, look, you did the right thing. The first rule of slaying is don't die. She also says to Faith, there are two of us now and one of him do the math. But as she's saying that, Faith looks around and recognizes some things and realizes they are in Kakistos' slayer. The vampires drove them there. The vampires burst in with Kakistos. Kakistos goes for Faith. Buffy throws her what looks like a crowbar and says, Faith, don't die. Buffy fights off the other vampires. Kakistos is hitting Faith and she screams. Buffy jumps in and fights him. Trick sees, he's been a little on the sidelines. He sees the way this is going and uh, says to another vampire, oh, the master could get killed. And he gives a very spike-like sort of shrug and says something like, oh, my prayers are with him. And as they walk out, Trick says, there's a reason these vengeance crusades are out of style. Modern vampires see the big picture. Now we're at our climax. Kakistos is fighting Buffy off and he throws her down, laughs and says he guesses she needs a bigger stake. Faith gets to her feet. She grabs a giant piece of wood and stakes him through the heart. And we start some falling action right away. So the falling action is where we tie up loose ends because Buffy says, you hungry? And Faith says, starved. 38 minutes, 47 seconds in. 
And this all is a little bit early for us to be in falling action already, but we'll see it's because we still have a climax for the emotional plot coming. In the library, Giles is talking to Willow and Buffy. He says the council approved his request. Faith is to stay in Sunnydale, and Giles will look after both Faith and Buffy until a new watcher is sent. Buffy says that's good, that Faith really came through in the end. She had a lot to deal with, but she did it. So now we get our climax for Buffy's emotional arc. Buffy takes a deep breath. She tells Willow and Giles that Angel was cured. They are both clearly surprised. She says, your spell worked at the last minute, Will. He was Angel again, and he didn't remember what had happened, but the vortex was already open. And Buffy says, she told him she loved him, she kissed him, and she killed him. So she gives them all the details. And she says to Giles, I don't know if that'll help with the spell or not. Giles says it will. And Willow says she's sorry. Buffy says it's okay. She held on to this for a long time and it feels good to get it out. And we have the Buffy and Angel theme music playing in the background as Buffy leaves. Now we have the falling action from the emotional plot. Willow says to Giles that she really can help with this spell. She knows he wants her to be careful. And Giles says there is no spell. And I just have this note, Giles, so amazing. He knew Buffy needed to talk about this, but that just saying to her, hey, you need to talk about this, wasn't going to work. So he he pushed in a way, in a context that she was familiar with that might be easier for her because it becomes part of her slayer duties and guides her to being able to talk about this thing that is so hard. Now Buffy waits for Scott Hope outside his class. He doesn't seem too thrilled to see her and she goes into a long explanation um, that's a little bit rambly saying there was someone before and it was hard and it's over but she was having a hard time with it and something about the ring confusing her and she gives one of my favorite Buffy lines ever. She says, wow, if I'd known I was going to go on this long, I probably would have brought some water. He says he needs to think about it when she says she hopes he'll give her another chance. And he starts to walk away, but he turns around right away and says, okay, he thought about it, and yes. Buffy says she has just one thing to take care of, and she's free for the weekend. At 42 minutes, 19 seconds in, she goes to the mansion where she killed Angel. And the Buffy and Angel music is playing. Buffy takes her cloud ring that Angel gave her, sets it on the floor, and very quietly says goodbye. And she leaves. That could have been the end of the episode, but now we get a game changer. I've talked about in other episodes, a cliffhanger is where our main plot doesn't resolve. And so there is something that happens, usually very dire, and we've got to come back to the next episode, the next movie, read the next book to find out what happens. Here, 
our main plot did resolve both the Faith plot. Faith killed Kikistos, got past her issues. Faith and Buffy are working as a team now and Buffy's emotional arc. She was able to tell Giles and Willow what happened. She felt happy about connecting with Scott and she has said goodbye to Angel. So everything resolved. But now we have a game changer which it doesn't spin this story in the new direction. It spins the whole world in a new direction. We close up on the ring, fade to black, and then the ring glows and it vibrates. And the vibration becomes what sounds like thunder. There is a white light, an angel naked falls to the ground, uh, not in vamp face. He looks human and very confused. And we cut to credits. So that is the game changer of all game changers. And I I do love it. And it was so hard when this was airing to have to wait and find out what was going to happen. And of course it happens when Buffy has finally let go, come to terms with this, and now, and, and even started something with someone new, now Angel's back. So a lot happened in this episode. I really felt like all the plot threads were much better connected here than in Anne. There we had our friends in a completely separate story from Buffy. Also Buffy's emotional arc. I talked about the different themes there. It wasn't quite clear exactly what Buffy was working through emotionally. Here that is very clear what Buffy needs to do. We have resolved these hanging issues from Dead Man's Party more or less with her friends. Um, Xander doesn't hear directly what happened with Angel but I'm sure he will so they understand more why Buffy left. And the Faith storyline also fits because Faith's story reflects Buffy's and Buffy in helping Faith deal with what she has to prompts Buffy to recognize in herself what she needs to do. So this all weaves together really well. My only issue, as I mentioned, is that the monster plot doesn't really have those strong plot turns. Do we have to have them? I mean, it's still a really good episode, but I do think that is part of why it, it isn't one of my very favorite. The emotional story is one of my favorites. And I, I feel like I usually forget that these are all in the same episode. I think of Faith coming in in a separate episode. And I think that's because as integrated as they are, that Kakisto storyline doesn't really have those strong plot turns that we are used to seeing in Buffy. What is really amazing with this episode is for all that it does, like emotionally, for Buffy as a character, the deepening of her relationship with Giles, introducing a new Slayer. All of this happens and it also foreshadows quite a bit for the rest of the season, a little bit for the series. So I hope you will stay tuned for spoilers to talk about all the foreshadowing. If not, thank you so much for listening. I hope you will come back next Monday for Beauty and the Beasts when Buffy finds out that Angel is back. And we are back for spoilers. Starting with that last scene, it raises the question, is the ring what brought Angel 
back. If Buffy had not said goodbye and put that ring there, would he be back? I do not think the season clearly answers if the ring played a role. Later on in Men's, the first evil, I feel not completely certain about this, but I'm pretty sure the first evil takes credit for bringing Angel back. I do not know if it's ever clear whether that is true or whether it is just telling Angel that to manipulate him. In the series Angel, there are these entities called the powers that be. And somewhere in my mind, I think I had canoned it that they brought Angel back because they had these plans for him. I don't know if that is just me imagining that or if that's actually told to us in episode one of Angel. I will likely go through that episode, if not as part of the regular podcast, at least for patrons. So we'll see if that happens. Um, Either way, I'll try to remember to comment on it. Also picking up on one of the last things I said in the episode is this Giles and Buffy relationship. Giles, yes, he's acting as the watcher here in guiding Buffy to deal with her emotional issues, but he is also more and more acting as a parent and their bond is growing deeper. Giles is the only person who understood Buffy and suspected he didn't know that Angel had changed back to himself, but he knew that there was something so deep, so troubling that Buffy was not dealing with. And the fact that Giles is the only one who got that and not only got it, but he figured out a way to help Buffy through it says so much about how much she means to him and how well he knows her. And this will come back later when he gets fired from being her watcher because the council thinks that he has too much of a father's love for Buffy, which we'll talk about then what that says about the council. Other things that will drive future episodes when Snyder is talking about how she needs a glowing recommendation from a teacher. I've forgotten the name of the episode, but it is the one where Buffy decides to run for queen against Cordelia because she is so upset at feeling like she will not be remembered for anything but slang. And part of that is prompted by she goes to the teacher who teaches what she says was her favorite class she's trying to get that letter of recommendation and the teacher is not clear on who Buffy is so how fun that Snyder's comment foreshadows that also he told her she had to see the school psychiatrist that is who she will see next episode and he he will be a really key character in terms of both helping Buffy and since we're in the spoiler section I can say it and getting killed raising a lot of concerns over is it Angel who kills him it is pivotal to the plot also another example of other than Giles any teacher who is supportive of Buffy it's a very dangerous thing to do Willow pushing to help with the spell and Giles putting her off this is such a nice foreshadowing because you could easily think watching the first time that Giles isn't as concerned as he seems because there really was no spell. 
So you could take it as, well, he was putting Willow off because there wasn't a spell and he didn't want to tell her that. And that somewhat camouflages that there is potentially a real issue here. Um, And I think Giles is somewhat concerned because he does ask her, what have you been conjuring? It gives us a hint that Willow will have some serious issues with magic and also that her eagerness to learn her excitement sometimes leads her to dangerous places. And Faith, when she says she She's five by five, meaning she's okay. This catchphrase of Faith's later in season four, the body switching episode, that will be how we know that there was a body switch because Faith in Buffy's body tells Joyce, I'm five by five. Joyce's only child comment? Oh, I love this because, yeah, Buffy really has trouble. All this togetherness. She does refer to Faith at some point, I think, as her bestest little sister or her new little sister, even though Faith is clearly older. So all of this foreshadows Dawn coming into the world of Buffy in season five, and Buffy has a lot of trouble. The couldn't Faith take over that Joyce says, Buffy dismisses it. I think that partly comes out of her feeling of, I want my life back. Right now, she doesn't want Faith to take over. She kind of wants Faith gone. But later in season three, when Buffy does become excited about college, she does want to embrace more of life. She is saying to Giles and Faith's new watcher, Wesley, I guess he's both their watchers at that point, Faith could take over. Faith and Buffy, when they have that fight while they're patrolling or that argument, it does get into Faith saying, you know, will you think you can take me? And Buffy says, yeah. It reminds me of that exchange with Buffy and Angel at the beginning of season two. And then they end the season by having that fight. And similarly, while this isn't in the premiere, I often think of this as the premiere of season three. It feels more like a premiere to me. And we have Faith and Buffy having the same conversation. If we got in a fight, who would win? And the season will play that through. Faith and Buffy will be opposed. They will come against each other multiple times. And in the end, there is this huge confrontation where this question, is answered not once and for all because faith will come back but it is there and it is similar to that book ending of last season with the Buffy Angel issues finally Giles kind of wistfulness about not being invited to the retreat It is played here for humor, but it does foreshadow that conflict between Giles and the council. It makes me wonder if there is some tension we haven't seen, if the council already questions Giles' motives a little. We will see Gwendolyn Post when she comes in and pretends to be Faith's new watcher, and she was a watcher, so she knows things, and she really plays on Giles' insecurity. And probably part of why she can do it is this thing of, well, he wasn't invited to the retreat. And she tells him she's been sent there to partly look in on his methods, that he's become too American, at which I'm pretty sure Buffy rolls her eyes. She does it to manipulate Giles. But the fact that she's able to do it suggests that maybe there is some tension there. So that is another very subtle foreshadowing that is here. 
I will end there. I am really looking forward to next week when not only is Angel back, but there is a dramatic storyline involving Oz and Willow. Thank you for listening, and I hope you come back next Monday. You can tweet me, Lisa M. Lily, hashtag Buffy Story, or email me, Lisa at LisaLilly.com. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2020. All rights reserved.